For me, it began in 1992 with an ending. I was five years old and happened upon a comic shop advertising the death of Superman in its window display. From that moment forward, the Man of Steel has been my favorite character. And now on this podcast, I'm exploring my fandom and examining the creative visions that have shaped the last son of Krypton across media for over 80 years. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I am your host, Anthony Desiato, and joining me this episode is the editor-in-chief of KryptonSite.com. Please welcome Mr. Craig Byrne. Hello, thanks for having me. I have really been looking forward to this. You know, longtime listeners of mine know that uh, I'm a massive Smallville fan. I watched religiously for all 10 seasons. Uh, I rewatched every season as soon as it came out on DVD, and you know, your site was a big part of my fandom. And so I was so happy when we connected uh, over Facebook. And, uh, you know, that's the main way we've interacted. This is the first time that we've actually, you know, seen each other face to face virtually, uh, but seen (laughs) each other face to face and and have had the opportunity to speak. So I I couldn't be more thrilled. I'm so excited to be here because, you know, as we talked about before the show, this has been such a crazy past year. And to look back at something that made us all so happy two decades ago now and on the year that the show literally turns 20, I think it's kind of cool for us to connect. Yeah. I mean the pilot Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. The pilot, uh, I believe shot in February of 2001. So we're backing up to that. Yeah. I mean, it's really something, uh, you know, there's so much that, uh, you know, I want to talk about, uh, with you and, and likewise, I've really been looking forward to this with everything going on yet to have an opportunity to have a fun conversation about something that's, you know, been very meaningful, you know, to both of us and in similar ways and in different ways. Uh, I, I think this will be great. So it's been just about a year since we connected on Facebook. Do you remember what initially brought us into each other's orbit? I actually do not, but I know you did the documentary about comic shops that I shared with my audience, which is so cool. I thought it was so neat that the store that I go to every week was in your documentary. So I was happy to share it. Now, is there something I'm forgetting? No, nothing, uh, nothing so (laughs) memorable, but uh, I had posted the night that the Batwoman episode of Crisis on Infinite Earths aired on the CW. And that, of course, featured the return of Tom Welling and Erica Durant as their characters from Smallville. And I'm going to do another episode down the line where I really delve into that crisis appearance, but (laughs) you know, it was thrilling to see them on screen again. And I was so excited for it. And, uh, you know, again, it was, it was wonderful to see them, but I was not a fan of the direction that they took, they took Clark (laughs) in, in that scene, in that little Smallville, uh, coda. And so I posted on Facebook, I said that, you know, in my mind, Clark's story ended with that final shot of the Smallville series finale where he rips open the shirt. That was it, as you have your shirt, your Superman shirt on there too. And I actually, I tagged a mutual friend of ours on Facebook, Dan Greenfield, who runs 13th Dimension. Okay, yes, of course. And I think that's how you were able to see my post. And again, I know this sounds like super geeky or whatever, but when I saw your name pop up as as someone who commented, I was like, that's the Krypton site guy. Like, I was... (laughs) Like I was genuinely excited. That's so cool. I, I didn't remember. Of course, I'm sure I posted in there. I was like, I was actually quite happy with it. Yes, you did. I, but you, you did it. You, you, I think you, you said you appreciated the idea of headcanon, right? Where as fans, oh, we yes. can sort of make our own continuity. Yeah, for sure. Because sometimes things don't make sense, but also we can include and not include what we want. I mean, my headcanon, and I might've said this in the thread is 
that for all we know, right after we saw Clark and Lois there, he got his powers back and went up, up and away again. That's true. You know, anything's possible. I mean, look at what Star Wars fans go through. Like the movies aren't even consistent from one to the other, let alone the, all the books that are now legends. Yeah, no, very true. Uh, you know, so the the main thrust of this episode, I want to talk about your coverage of Smallville, the the site that you built, the the larger network of sites that it's evolved into uh, with, you know, K-Site sure. TV. So I think it, it it's all fascinating to me, and I think it's so cool that you took your fandom for Superman and for Smallville, and you turned it into something like this. And, and actually, before I ask you anything, I, I just want to say, I know I, I wrote this to you on Facebook, but I want to say to you and say it on the episode, <laughs> just thank you. Thank you so much for the site, because like I said before, you know, again, I watched it religiously. And so it ran from my freshman year of high school to my second year of law school. So that covered very formative years for me. And at every step along the way, like there were at least some people in my life I could talk to about it, uh, which was great. It's not like I, I, you know, I was so isolated in my fandom of the show. I, mm. I had people I could talk to about it. But in terms of, you know, my love for Superman and for Smallville, I think there was always like a higher level of engagement that I was kind of looking for. And your site was that. And I, I really don't think I'm exaggerating to say that it visiting your site really went hand in hand with my viewing of the show. I mean, I was on your site every day. Every day I was yeah, checking that thing. It was so much fun having engaged in an engaged audience like that. Because now in the age of Twitter and Facebook and all that, I mean, you don't really have to go out of your way to go to a website anymore. People aren't posting on forums the way they used to. For some reason, they post on Reddit. I still haven't figured that one out. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's um, it was just like a lot of fun. Like, I hope that to most... Krypton site felt like a little like clubhouse we could all go to kind of like, you know, like the Legion's old headquarters, that big old cup that Mark Wade turned into a sentient being, I think. But uh, yeah, it was, I mean, I also feel like fans back then weren't fed as much stuff as they are now. Like you'll get a flash season premiere and we'll have like 15 interviews beforehand. We'll have almost every scene in a clip, like, you know, and when a pilot happens, it seems like we have like a seven minute reel. That's the entire pilot most of the time. So we'll probably be getting that for Superman and Lois by the time this actually is published. Um, you always have the producers explain such and such an episode back then. We didn't really have that. I mean, Alan miles did maybe like five interviews a year and Krypton site was one of them usually, which I really appreciated. Um, and they were allowed to actually reveal stuff in those interviews which I feel like everything is so planned now, like, oh, we got to give that one Entertainment Weekly or, you know. So it, it, the whole market has changed, but we were very lucky that, you know, like, or we as in, like, the people who'd go to the site, that we had pretty much free reign. Um, I do know that, you know, there were times if I posted something, I might get a call, hey, can you take that down? And I would take it down. Um, I posted a spoiler for the episode zero, which accidentally gave away the end, okay. which I didn't realize. But also back then people weren't like reposting stuff in 18 million places. So I could just delete it and it would be gone from the internet, which is very different now than today where, you know, somebody can post, Oh, Chris Evans is doing Marvel movies again. And it will go like wildfire. And then he's like news to me, 
you know? Right. Uh, so that's very different too. Um, there weren't as many fake stories except for on Krypton site, April fools, but it, we'll talk about that too. I hope because that's it, like my favorite day of the year. It's on my list and it's a big part <laughs> of, you know, uh, my, I, I think anyone who is a, uh, a regular at Krypton site, that's, you know, <laughs> one of, one of our favorite days. Um, and, you know, when we talk about the fake stories, I, you know, I, I thought maybe we'd get to this a little bit later, but it's, it's relevant yeah. here. I mean, you know, the, just kind of the idea of, of entertainment journalism generally, and you know, it, drives me nuts as a fan and i can only imagine for you as a journalist as a webmaster what it must be like i mean every time i see one of my facebook friends no less uh, post a link from we got this covered i yes. want to pull my hair out like it drives me crazy well that was the worst for me before crisis because i remember uh, the cosmic book news guy was like oh tom welling is in crisis i literally talked to Stephen amell about it the day before and Stephen like was like, I got an idea for them, but they're not signed. Okay. Um, and yeah. And then what was really funny though, is when it was finally announced, Mark Guggenheim tweeted it and cosmic book news guy tweeted him. I had that back in July and Guggenheim's like, funny. We just signed him yesterday. Really funny story related to that though. Yeah. Uh, this is also a thing like, most of the Krypton site spoilers back in the day came from casting sides. Oh, I was going to ask you. That yeah, was actually one yes. of my questions. I was curious where. So, and, and just, you know, again, I assume like most people who are Superman fans who are listening or watching this are familiar with your site. But for anyone who who isn't or who, you know, came to it more recently and didn't go to it back in the day, you know, yeah. various sections. I mean, and I frequented all of them. I mean, I would always check the main page to see the latest news. I would check out the spoilers. Oh, I have a funny little story with that. Uh, okay. But I would always check the spoilers, you know, the photo galleries, whenever, you know, photos came out for upcoming episodes. I was not, um, I will admit, I was not a an active member of the forums. I did lurk, though. I was one of those. I was a lurker. Do you remember your screen name? No, I didn't even have, I didn't okay. even have that. Yeah, yeah, no, I was just, uh, you know. Okay. Yeah, I would just read. I didn't, I didn't get into the, to the action, which in retrospect, uh, I don't know why, to be honest. Um, but I enjoyed it nonetheless. Well, I'm glad you did. But um, what I was going to say, though, about the spoilers page is around the time the show moved to the CW, I remember I talked to one of the publicists for the show, and she's like, okay, there's going to be something big coming up. If you see it, like, on a casting site or something, can you let us know? And I go to the casting sites page, and I see they're casting Oliver Queen. And I remember I emailed her immediately and she got, like, I think it was called Showfax. She got on the phone with Showfax, and that was gone within five minutes. But what's really funny about that story is I had seen the Aquaman pilot already. This is before it was on iTunes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Al Goff brought me into the office and was like, okay, if you like it, you can talk about it. If you didn't like it, you never saw it. But I did like it, so I actually wrote a review on the site. But uh, after I saw the casting sites were there, I sent Al an email. I was like, you know, he'd be a great green arrow, Justin Hartley. And he responded with, you must be psychic. Cause we just signed him this morning. <laughs> I wasn't allowed to post it yet, but it still was kind of funny because I just thought he'd be perfect when we saw him. And sure enough, you he were, was. That, yeah. that should have been one of my April fool's jokes. 
<laughs> it's fu- <laughs> it's funny. I mean, I'm sure we'll keep coming back to the April Fools, but like it's amazing, and I'm sure. I mean, I can only imagine what it's like from your perspective. I mean, numerous things that you've had there as jokes over the years. <laughs> you know, well, I forget true. about them sometimes. Like last year, I had a list of guest stars for Crisis, and I had Ezra Miller on there. I didn't know anything. <laughs> like I was just like, oh, a member of the Justice League will show up. It's likely going to be Ezra Miller. No idea. Nor did the people working on the shows, other than Guggenheim and the few crew members that did it. Yeah, even Steven didn't know. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> it, that was a, uh, you know, there were again, there were a lot of fun moments and a lot of and a lot of surprises, but that was the one that I gen- like I was genuinely like gobsmacked by because I just you know and I know you know this better than anyone I mean you know over the course of Smallville you know there were so many restrictions right on yeah. who they could use how many episodes all that so the idea of like well the movie version is going to be on the TV show like because I remember my wife and I and she follows all the the shows uh, you know with me and I remember she was saying like do you think they'll have someone from from the movies, I was like, no, I was like, there's no way. They'll ne- Warner Brothers will never let that happen. If only it had been Cyborg, right? <laughs> Too soon. That, yeah, at least he would have had a, you know, final yeah, Well, he wouldn't have been working glory. for Hamada and Johns. That's true. So he could have done it. No, I'm just kidding. It's, but that's drama for another day or year. But um, what I was going to say, though, uh, with crisis like yeah like i remember when smallville was on like thinking oh it'd be cool if they had like brandon routh as monel or something and but at the time it seemed impossible for him to even do tv it was right before he did chuck i think i remember thinking that and then he was on legends of tomorrow for like five years and arrow for like a year on top of that and uh yeah it's just crazy how it's all connected but I, I actually was shocked that Welling did Crisis. I was like, there's no way they're going to get him. Or at least not as Clark. Like, I thought maybe they would have like Tom Welling like walking down the street or maybe like in a bar, kind of like Hugh Jackman in X-Men First Class. You know, something like But I had no idea. I actually thought Rosenbaum was going to show up. I was very disappointed. Yeah. With I, that. I, I'm with you on on both fronts, and and actually, you know, you were a moment ago. You were talking about how, um, you know, again, like during the the time of Smallville, you didn't have like all the interviews and all the coverage and all the exposure that you necessarily see now. Specifically with respect to Tom Welling, and I know you have, you know, I know there's some stuff, you know, the story that you you've, you've posted, and if you'd be willing to share yeah. that, I think that'd be awesome. But it's been. Because even from the fan perspective, right? Like I remember, you know, he did some interviews early on. I remember him on the season two DVD commentary tracks. He was on a couple that he was, what? And then season three, he wasn't even in the bloopers. Yep. (laughs) And so from the fan perspective, like I, for years, like I always remember, I was just like, where, like you just, you didn't see him in interviews. Like one of my buddies at at our local comic shop, he teased me all the time. He was like, Tom Welling doesn't exist. He's like, he, he passed away after season two and they've just been CGIing him all these years. And then like towards the end of the show, in those final couple of seasons, they did the Comic-Con panels and you saw him a little bit more, but I've been floored over the past year yeah. or two, seeing him on Rosenbaum's podcast, seeing him at these conventions on crisis, blown away. Well, uh, let me tell you, like one thing that's just so different about uh, Welling. Well, I mean, my negative story, of course, is that I waited on set for him one time for two hours. He finally agreed to do interview for my season seven book i think it was seven 
And then he bolted and everybody thought that was hilarious because apparently he did that often. But Annette explained, Annette O'Toole explained it to me that he would get anxiety about interviews. It might've been related to that Rolling Stone interview they did around season one or two, Tom, Michael, and Kristen. It really painted all of them badly. Oh, okay. And I think he just, and also I just think in retrospect that he was exhausted. And in addition to being afraid of being misquoted, et cetera. Now I obviously like, I would have sent him the transcripts, you know, before even, or, you know, the manuscript of the book before it would go. But cause you know, I was in with them, but it was weird because like, I mean, Glover told me he was going to, that Tom was agreeing to do it. Uh, Steve Oban, who you've probably heard about on Rosie's podcast was like, hey, yeah, Tom's going to do it. Never happened. But what was really funny though, I don't know if I've told this story in public. Uh, I did a Lucifer press thing about two years ago and it was for the eighth episode of Tom's season first seven episodes. And by the way, this is before the Allison Mack stuff dropped first seven episodes. He always called Chloe Decker Decker and not Chloe. So I asked him, I was like, so Tom, did you purposely wait eight episodes to say the name Chloe? And he gave me like a completely serious answer. And I just went, Tom, there's another reason I was asking you about the name Chloe. And he's just like, Oh, I get it. I get it. I get it. He got so excited. And I mean, it was like the dog from up or something. And uh, yeah. So like, that was a great interaction. You know, I think, I think Lucifer opened the door for him a little bit to understanding that, you know, fans aren't scary uh, maybe, but I just think he was overwhelmed in retrospect. Um, yeah, it was hard and kind of embarrassing to do like the official companion guides for the show and not get the lead actor. It, yeah, but, I mean, I'm sure that was a tough thing. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, you did these companion guides, which that was another thing that I, I wanted to. Yeah, to, sorry. To, to bring. <laughs> no, no, this is, uh, I'm having a great time and, and uh, I, I couldn't, you know, thank you more for taking the time to do this. Uh, but, you know, with Welling, you know, because I've watched, you know, I've watched video of like a bunch of the panels that they've been doing at these conventions. And, uh, you know, I've, I've listened to him on Rosenbaum's podcast the various times he's been on it. And and I do get that sense, right, that he was overwhelmed, overworked, tired. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, I, I agree with you. I think the Lucifer experience probably opened things up for him. I think Rosenbaum personally, too, has yeah, played sure. a big role, like between the conversations they've had on the show and kind of like roping him into doing the conventions. Like, I really think that uh, that that changed that kind of changed the equation a little bit. And you have to realize when Tom started Smallville, like the actors doing Comic-Con was not like a required thing. I mean, Smallville had panels, I think, for seasons one, two and four and then didn't come back until seven, I don't think. So, you know what I mean? There was always a big break. And I mean, I remember one of the first TV casts to show up at Comic-Con, I think was Buffy. I feel like that was around 2002. And by the way, there was not a panel before season one. I was mistaken. Gotcha. But I did go to season two, which was in a tiny room. And it was, that was actually where Miles Miller slipped that Chloe was Lois Lane's cousin. And Mm. uh, Sam Jones and Allison Mack were there. And that was it for the actors. So it things have changed. I mean, now it's almost like in your contract. That was actually one of the first like kind of like red flags I saw with Ruby Rose was that she didn't do Comic-Con. I was like, you're the lead on an Arrowverse show. Of course you need to do Comic-Con. But I know Javicio would have been doing it this year if 
we had had a Comic-Con. Also, how trippy is it that the kids from Superman and Lois, the older one was born a month before the pilot, and the younger one was born the week Scare aired? <laughs> yeah, that, you know... <laughs> That, we're that, old. That makes me feel old. I'm not going to lie. It's, yeah. you know, we were talking about this before we uh, officially started recording, but it's just about, uh, you know, aging generally and the ages of the actors and the characters. Like, yeah. it was funny, you know, for me, I, I was the same age as Clark. We looked, we could not have looked more different as Tom Welling was, was 10 years old. I was the exact older. same age as Welling. <laughs> like, I think Tom graduated high school the same year I did, 95. So... And but on TV, he graduated when you did. Yeah. And I do remember back then I could get away with like really smart ass like captions on the photos. And I remember one of them was like the world's oldest graduate <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. That's the other thing I think has changed with fandom, though. I feel like fandom has no chill now. Like you can't joke about something like that now. Yeah. They're like, how dare you say that about Tom Welling? And it's like, it's funny. Like I have a friend and this might go towards my Snyder Cut bias that we've talked about. I have a friend who got mad at me because we did a, a, some friends of mine and I did a podcast recap of the Smallville pilot. And I made a joke that this Superman would save his dad from a tornado. And this friend, former friend now, unfollowed and unfriended me because I mocked Men of Steel. It's like, come on, just chill. That's uh I should have made a joke that I was uh knocking you off this podcast here. Like, all right, we're done. Oh no. shoot. It's uh that's a that's very severe. You know, I mean yeah. my listeners know, like I I am a, a fan and a defender of the Snyder stuff, but I understand people have other opinions and especially with the comment you made, I mean, I don't think that's that necessarily warrants <laughs> that reaction. That's pretty no. you know, that's that's pretty severe. And uh you know, like one of the one of the things for me why I love doing this podcast is you know, sometimes I have people on who we share the same opinion, but you know, other times we, we might not. And it's like, it's, you, you don't want to hear different perspectives. I think that's what, you know, makes, makes us a little bit more of an interesting experience. So that's a shame. Well, I agree. Like, I think it's so interesting that, you know, you were young visiting the website through some very ugly designs over the years, I'm sure kind of evolved over the years. Um, but I had so much fun with it. Like we talked about the April fools, like, that was the one day a year where I got to be creative and throw my ideas out there. And uh, the, somebody told me it was hilarious. Uh, <laughs> season eight, April fools. I wrote an article that Michael Rosenbaum was coming back for season nine. Cassie Freeman sees this. She goes around the set telling everyone and they're just like, uh, Cassie, you need to like click the read more. Like, <laughs> I think that's hilarious. And then uh, season 10, I did an article about them doing like a Young Justice follow-up to S Smallville. And I said something like, Laura Vandervoort was approached, but she was busy like filming a Hallmark Channel movie. I got an email from Laura and it was CC'd with her manager. I never heard anything about this. And I had to respond, Laura, it's a joke. Read the April Fool's page. So it, it happens, you know. Um, that's amazing. Kind of funny. And it, it's also interesting, like, the things that we thought would happen eventually on the show that didn't. Of course, you had the Chloe as Lois people, which 
that never totally made sense to me once they introduced Lois Lane to the series. That was a, right. So that was for anyone not familiar, right? That was a long-term uh, fan yeah. theory, right? That Chloe would actually turn out to be Lois Lane. Lois Lane. And yeah, on the and forum, I, I mean, right? Like that was a big thing on the forum. On the forum, but also like television without pity, they were very deep into the theory. And it would have been cute, like in the first three seasons when we hadn't seen Lois Lane, but once we'd seen Lois Lane on the show, I think we know where things are going. But I also kind of wonder if some of that was like a shipper thing, because obviously whoever is Lois Lane is the one that ends up with Clark. And, you know, I mean, like, even back then you would get, like, you know, the accusations of, like, shipper bias. I can honestly say I shipped Clark with his cape right behind me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I just wanted the show to end with Clark and his cape. So might have been a little bit disappointed, but. A little bit, right? A little yeah. bit. Yeah. Yeah, just a tiny bit. Did you, I, you know, I wanted to ask you, did you know ahead of time? that he was not going to actually wear the costume. If you can say, if you can't, that's okay. I had hints, but I know when I was watching that finale, when Lois is on air force one talking to like the president or something, I thought they were going to turn around and we're going to see like full frontal Superman. Mm -hmm. Like the only thing I remember, I knew that wasn't like broken or announced beforehand with that finale is that Aaron Ashmore was back. And I was so annoyed when they had the guest star list at the start of part one and Aaron Ashmore is listed. It's like way to keep the surprise. Yeah. Uh, one behind the scenes piece of information about that finale I can give you though, is originally they did want Michael McKean to show up as Perry white, but they couldn't afford all these people to fly up North. I mean, it's better than what the supernatural finale got because of COVID they couldn't really bring back anybody except for Bobby. Spoiler. Yeah. Yeah, the, the super. Yeah, uh, if they were gonna have, if they were only able to have one, Bobby was the one, and I was okay with that. But it's like, I, yeah, you you think about like what that finale would have been had it been populated with everyone. It's kind of like the Welling Crisis thing. When I watched that finale, I actually liked having what possibly could have happened in my imagination, because you don't have that holy crap, so and so got old feeling. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. sometimes when they cart people out for like a finale and it's like, uh, like how did Jonathan Kent gain 20 pounds before Lazarus? Right. Yeah, I know. Like in his the, ghost. In the, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. Yeah, I know. I guess, you know, the Jurel AI or whatever created, did we ever find out what created that? I, did we? I don't know. <laughs> it was a good episode. I don't remember. I think, one of my favorite things, and I wish I had done like more companion guides after season seven. There was a season premiere, it might have been season nine, uh, where Clark starts talking to like Jorel in the fortress. But at the end of the previous season, like the fortress was like shut down completely. And I just asked one of the writers, I was like, So, like, how is he able to do that if he shut it down? And the writer's just like, Maybe he just plugged it back in. Which was like a hilarious answer, but I would have loved to have had that on the record because it's like um, I was doing a press thing for The Flash. It was the episode that introduced Ralph Dibney. And I was like, wasn't Ralph Dibney named as being dead by Harrison Wells in season one? And they just were like, oh, uh, it was Flashpoint. <clears throat> yeah. I also I remember asking them, I was like, why didn't Chloe's dad give her away at her, at her wedding? 
And my res- the response I got was, Chloe's dad's alive? So we notice these things yeah. as fans, but I think when you have 218 episodes, there are a lot of balls to juggle. And For- I think also the actor that Robert Wisden, I think was his name, had retired from acting. But, I mean, it wouldn't be the first time Gabe Sullivan was recast. There's a different Gabe originally for Jitters. Oh, that's true. Or no, it wasn't for Jitters. It was for the pilot. Okay. I think. Yeah. And then we finally saw the real Gabe, I think, in Jitters. Or the original actor that played Gabe was brought back in Jitters. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, it's been a while. I mean, it's, it's, the, it's been a while. Well, you know, for Jitters me. was supposed to be episode three of the series. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, the um the director of that episode's like mother passed away while they were filming. Oh. But that's actually what brought Greg Beeman into the show. And I mean Beeman's directing was legendary. I mean, just the fact that he would use such beautiful colors for Smallville and then, you know, like Metropolis was a bit more gray and flat. Yeah. No, that was a question well. for you. Sure. If you could have had any piece of the Smallville set, what would you have wanted and why? The uh, the octagonal key, that's uh, oh. that's up there for me. I have a I have a replica of it, and it's. Well, do you remember when John Glover was like doing replicas of it for his Alzheimer's charity? Oh, that's right. No, With locks of his hair. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, no, this was just, uh, I remember it was actually the owner of the comic shop that I worked at ordered it for oh, me. Nice. Like it was just like a, you know, licensed merchandise that was available <clears> in the diamond uh, uh, oh, previews awesome. catalog. Um, so that's something that I think would, would be, that's the first thing that comes to mind. So I'll go with that. See, my answer would have been, of course, I didn't get it or I'd be very happy right now. I would have wanted one of the newspapers from the wall of the Daily Planet. Yeah. Well, and especially as a journal. I mean, that would have been perfect. Yeah. For you. Yeah. I just think. In fact, like my walls that, I mean, you can't see right now, but I have walls that are blue, like the walls of the Daily Planet. And I'm pretty sure that was probably intentional. I just wasn't thinking about it. So, yeah, I still like, you know, they say always hold on to Smallville. There's even a podcast by that name. There is. And uh, Zach does a great job with it. And like, I mean, you come into my place and you look to your left and I actually have the original Smallville promotional poster, not Tom in the corn, not Tom tied up, but it's got like this orangey background and a different logo that looks like the Superman logo. Uh, if you watch the pilot, the the grocery bags say Smallville and it's kind of in the original Smallville TV series logo. So I've got that as you come in. That's kind of how I'm always holding on and I have other stuff. I think you're wearing your Smallville high, uh, Letterman jacket. Yeah, I'm wearing a, yeah, I don't have a Superman hat, so I'm wearing a Supergirl hat. So I hope when we get a new Superman TV show, uh, Warner Brothers is like, hey, what's up? Actually, I had a Smallville hat they gave away Comic-Con, I think, before Season 9. I couldn't find it before we recorded. Ah. So, you know. But, yeah, it's like, um, I'm sorry, I'm going on a rant or, you know. No, tangent. it's 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 perfectly fine and, and you're not but it's uh, but it's but it's 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 great to hear all of this honestly it's, it's a lot of fun you know i was thinking about sort of the what i think and tell me if you agree you i feel like you occupy a very unique space within the world of smallville because obviously there are the people who made the show and there are the fans and yes there are other entertainment journalists but i 
I don't know of any who covered the show to the extent that you did. I mean, again, you, you know, you visited the set, you're, you know, you had interactions with the the cast, the, you know, the, the crew, yeah. the producers. Uh, so, I mean, I feel like you, the, the perspective you have is, is really fascinating to me. It's really kind of surreal. And I think, again, it's something that I don't think could be duplicated. Like they really treated me like part of the team or a lot of them did. Um, and that was really cool. Like uh, when they would have their season premiere parties, I was invited. Usually it wasn't cast. It was just the producers, but it was just fun. They just, and, but they knew that when I was showing up, I didn't have my journalist hat on and I wasn't going to be like asking them questions and harassing them with stuff like that. Um, I'm trying to think I would sometimes get the crew gifts uh, that they did for the hundredth episode. They listed like everybody that ever wor- like worked or guest starred on the show. I was on the list. That was really cool. Also, um, a lot of people might not know, but do you remember the original Smallville Ledger and Torch sites? Oh yeah. The, the Warner brothers ones. Yeah. I was Pete Ross. Oh, <laughs> so like the episode craving when Lex calls up an article from the Smallville torch, I wrote that article. Oh, so wow. I actually had something on Smallville in its own weird way. And I also wrote the classifieds and would like sprinkle like references to the comics. I think I had like a Coast City Memorial reference at one point. Um, I, I got to the point where I had to explain my jokes. <laughs> uh, one, of my, one of the things I wrote uh, got mentioned in the episode Jinx. Uh, an article I wrote for the ledger referred to BB Davenport's auto body, which was a reference to Cooter from the Dukes of Hazard, making a little John Schneider joke. Sure. And in Jinx, they make a reference to BB Davenport's auto body. I'm like, so that was fun. And actually the writer of Jinx was my boss with the ledger and torch. His name was Mark Warshaw. And he ended up doing, he did the justice and doom thing later. And, so, like, I got to be involved, which was such a cool feeling. Like, I mean, now everything is so, I mean, they have entire, like, staffs doing these websites and stuff. But back then, they didn't have it. Like, I mean, back then, I almost feel like if people wanted to know what's up with Smallville, they would just have to come to Krypton site, and hopefully they would find what they need. Whereas now, I mean, you Google Arrow, and you'd probably find, like, 50,000 things before you'd find me. Maybe not, but you know what I mean? Yeah. All right, let's uh, pick this back up in just a moment. But first, a word about one of our sponsors. Movie lovers should check out this family of film festivals. The Brightside Tavern Film Festival in Jersey City, the Hang On To Your Shorts Film Festival in Asbury Park, and the Point Lookout Film Festival on Long Island. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals generally, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Also, be sure to listen to the podcasts hosted by the festival's organizer, C.J. Cullen. You can find the official Hang On To Your Shorts podcast, as well as the Cullen On Film podcast, via a shared universe network. And we're back. Uh, so a little while ago, you mentioned the Always Hold On To Smallville podcast, right? And that's yeah. another series that's out there, and they're going through, they're rewatching every episode of the series, and it's amazing. It's funny, though, because, you know, maybe a, a year 
or more than a year ago, I decided I wanted to do a Superman podcast and I didn't know initially exactly what the focus would be. And, you know, I'm this huge Smallville fan. So for a brief moment, like I toyed with the idea of doing a rewatch and then I looked to see if there was anything else all that already existed. And I saw that it did. And I'll be honest with you, I was relieved. I was happy that I was happy that it existed and I was happy that someone else was doing it. I didn't really feel like I needed to. And I've been having like the best time doing this show because I can jump around and I can cover Smallville as much as I want, but I can, you know, do so much else. And, yeah, I uh, agree with you. And Zach's doing a wonderful job with that. And uh, and it's and it's great and it's there. But I, I it's funny because you might have thought that I would be disappointed, but I was actually, like, I was like, all right. Yeah. Well, you know, and the guys that did the Starkville House of L podcast, Shu, I'm sure you remember that from back in the day. Yeah. They're going to be talking about Superman and Lois on a podcast. So, yeah. Very cool. Yeah, it, it all comes around. I, if I had the time to do like a Krypton site podcast, which would just be general Superman TV, probably I would, but I don't know how to record these things. And <laughs> I was actually, that was one of my like yeah. last questions for you. Cause you know, the site, your site has grown so much, right? I mean, you cut, it's a yeah. whole network of sites. Now you cover the yeah. Arrowverse, you cover a bunch of shows. And, uh, and I was curious if, uh, you know, f- about future plans generally and specifically if you had thought about, uh, yeah, like doing a Krypton site podcast or case. Yeah. Podcast. I mean, it would be fun if I could get like people who were involved maybe yeah. to like do interviews. Um, I do have something that I've kind of had in the back of my mind to do for the 20th anniversary. I don't know if I'll be able to finish it because the pandemic kind of like knocked me off a bit. Um, so we'll see, uh, if I do, I will tell you first. Um, I appreciate that. Yeah. um, I would like to, at the very least on the site, I think we've got to do some Smallville anniversary things. Like, I mean, honestly, I think the CW and Warner brothers, like they really should think about the anniversary once 20th, you know, like whether it's an episode of Superman and Lois where they go back to his high school reunion or something or, you know, just something to tie it all back together, even though it's, yeah. I mean, Tom Willings Clark might still be out there somewhere. I doubt he's going to play it again, but he's out there, <laughs> you know, and uh, you know, Kristen Krupp told me when I interviewed her about burden of truth, she's like, yeah, I'd do it if they asked me to. Yeah, I know. She, I think she said that on, uh, like on, on Rosenbaum's podcast too. Like she's, you know, she's been open about yeah. that. And obviously Erica Durant's played, uh, you know, uh, Supergirl's mother on, on that show. You know, I will also tell you about Crisis. I really thought Erica was going to be in multiple episodes as Lois. Because mm. the way the press release was like, oh, Erica Durant is, a, but it's because she was a Laura in part one. Yeah. But yeah. they tricked us. Because I thought maybe like Tom's Clark would be like blinked out of existence or something and Erica would have to rescue him or something. Yeah. That would have made sense. <clears throat> yeah. I could have seen that happening. I do remember going crazy and I actually got an argument with Zach about from always hold on to Smallville about this. When people are like, Oh no, Tom's going to show up in the costume. I'm like, no, he's not. No, it's so, yeah. I, cause I remember, I remember seeing all that stuff, all that speculation. Yeah. I remember in particular, there was like, yeah, he was going to be in costume with the other two. And I just remember saying, I'm like, there is no way I like, if this guy didn't wear the costume in the series finale of his own show, I don't see him doing it here. Like, so I really, so I knew they would get around having him in the costume. My (laughs) hope, what I kind of thought was going to happen was that, uh, I thought they would kind of tease us a little bit where, you know, the Arrowverse characters would come for help and he would be like, Oh, I got to grab my costume. And in the time that it takes him to super speed away, the Arrowverse, yeah, the Arrowverse characters are pulled back 
And I would have been perfectly fine with that. But yeah, there was, I was like, there's no way it's, we're lucky enough that he's even like playing Clark again. Even that was enough of a surprise. Well, you know, that also brings me back to the whole finale of it all. Yeah. Because I think was what made it a little more disappointing even was like booster gold made it sound like when Superman revealed himself to the world, it was such a big deal. Yep. I love the booster gold episode, by the way, that's one of my favorites. It's a, it's a great one. Um, but I think, well, honestly, like if the show had only lasted five seasons, I would have been fine with not getting the costume. I think they probably would have held off the formation of the fortress to be the last scene of the show. And I would have been fine with it. But when you have freaking Hawkman on the show and Aquaman and Mira and all these random DC characters before you, I mean, you had him getting married to Lois before he's even Superman. Yeah, it's, um, I think I, I might've even, we might've even, uh, had a Facebook exchange about this, you yeah. know, as a, as a Superman fan, yes. Did I want to see him wear the costume as a fan? Sure. That would have been a lot of fun. And, you know, we've yeah. been building up to it for 10 years, but I also felt that thematically, like they, it did drop the ball a little bit because so much of that final season and the booster gold episode is a great example was centered around this idea of like, he's going to step into the light and become that right. symbol of hope. And you know, honestly, if I, I could even do without the, like if they, if he just absolutely refused to wear the costume, but he had landed in on top of the Daily Planet building or on the street. And you saw him from behind, like the boots and the cape. Something like that. Or honestly, even if it was yeah. the blue shirt and red jacket, but the fact that like he's stepping out in front of everyone. Mm-hmm. I, I just think that that was a missed opportunity, but I got to tell you, and I've said this on other podcasts, but I'll, I'll forever hold, I'll hold on to this story of watching that series finale uh-huh. and you know, with the wonderful exchange between Clark and Jonathan and peace with yeah. Jor-El. I, I mean, there's so much about it that I love. And he f- starts flying and, you know, he sees putting on the costume and he bursts through the, the fortress and, you know, CGI. Okay. And then they cut to commercial. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, when we get back from this commercial break, like here it is. Like, <laughs> and then it would be years. the equivalent of, look, it's the flash. And it was, there was this weird, and you know, maybe, I don't know, like you might've put it together faster than I did that you were like, oh, this is as far as they're going. But like, I had this weird, you know, there was, emotions were running high as I was watching yeah. this episode. And it, I, I had this weird disconnect where it was like, it, it took me a second to realize like, oh, we're not seeing him in the costume. <laughs> like it just, and I was so disheartened because I kept thinking like, all right, the next scene, the next scene. And then I got to the point where I was like, oh. That's it. And I'm sure a lot of other fans had the same experience. Yeah, it, well, you know, it's very interesting, though, and this sounds like I'm making a welling excuse. And we might have talked about this on Facebook. I do think that seeing him in costume in something that's not his own show would have betrayed his show. Yes, I, I agree with that. Because it's like we had those 10 years about the buildup, and I think to have the PS, I think that would have kind of sucked because you know yeah those people who bought the 10 year you know the 10 years dvd set it's like 10 years of like foreplay and then we get there and it's like oh nope sorry but um what got me in the episode the most that i loved actually obviously was the richard donner era john williams music but also lewis fieber's score or it's like, da, 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 da. and the, you know, it's like Jor-El's like, you know, you're my son, Kal-El. 
you know, you always hold on to small, you know, that, that whole thing, you know, the things you learned with the Kents, yeah. I mean, nothing Jor-El ever did made sense on the show, but <laughs> you know, I mean, I think we kind of accepted it because it created drama and tension, you know, and, yeah. and it gave them a I lot mean, of, a lot of, you know, fuel for many seasons that, that tension between the two of them. Well, I, and you know, we haven't really talked about this, but this, since this is about like your Superman, you know, fan journey in a way, I think what's very interesting is when the show started, I know people kind of ragged on and joked about like the freaks of the week and that sort of thing in season one. But in a way it was kind of brilliant because people could tune in at any time and be able to follow what the story was for the most part. Um, and it was like taking normal, like teen situations and just like raising them to like 50, you know, because of whatever the meteor rocks did to them. I thought that was really clever. And then they started building their own mythology in season two. I mean, lineage was probably the highest rated episode in the entire history of the WB. I think they had like 9.3 million viewers, something like that. And then you had Rosetta, which was brilliant. You had insurgents where Clark is literally doing a leap tall buildings. But the other thing I remember about that time is, I mean, it also helped that they had the Smallville beginnings on Sundays in case you missed it the first time. I would, I watched them twice. Yeah. I would watch them yeah. on, what, it was Tuesday initially, right? And then I would watch no, them again. Well, the show was on Tuesday and then Sunday afternoons they would show the yeah. repeats. I watched them both times. <laughs> but what I remember about that specifically is the show had permeated pop culture to the point that I remember I was in a bookstore and I overheard people talking about, I think it was Heat. Did you see that episode with him doing the... You know, and I feel like it's something, I mean, things enter pop culture all the time now, but especially back then, you know, somebody, something's arrived to people. It's literally like water cooler talk. Yeah. And, and this was actually, you know, kind of one of the, like the big picture questions that I wanted to ask you. And and obviously, you know, we've been talking about the show and your coverage of it and obviously we're fans, right? But you know, I was on a I was on a podcast recently called uh, Shadadigans. It's about fatherhood. It was a lot of fun, and yeah. they uh, they were asking me a bunch of Superman questions because they know I'm a fan. And specifically, one of the hosts asked me about Smallville. He was like, "What? Like, why were you such a fan of the show?" And I said, "You know, the personal aspect, the fact that you know my my age, you know, and and year in schooling, like paralleled Clark's. Like, it really hit me at exactly the right point. And there's that's an aspect of it, but that's only a, a small piece of it." I said, "You know." I know that one of the criticisms you often hear about the character of Superman is that he's not relatable. And I don't subscribe to that. And I think one of the reasons I don't subscribe to that is Smallville. I mean, we we saw over the course of this show a young man trying to find his place in the world, having this part of himself that he couldn't quite reconcile, that he felt he had to hide and not sure what his place in the world was going to be. I mean, I was like, that's so relatable. And, and that, I think... You know, there's so much else about the show that I enjoyed over the yeah, years. Yeah, of course. And, and, you know, the I thought they did a really great job, with, of course, with Lex and that that the relationship oh, yeah. and the deterioration. Like, there's so much that I liked about it. But, like, at its heart, you know, this this kid, like, just trying to figure things out, you know, for me, I think that's why the show really holds such a special place. And I was curious for you, I mean, if I were to pose that question to you, I mean, like, what what is it about the show that made it resonate with you so much and, and continues to be a big part of your life? Well, you know, I was thinking more of the bigger picture, not just me. I think um, Al Goff and Miles Miller did not get enough credit for the great job they did in developing the series. Because it's like they mixed a concoction that people would talk about, whether they wanted to, like, 
be like have their shipper wars. They wanted to talk about how great Lex was, or they wanted the Superman stuff. There was like a little bit for everybody, and there was the family aspect. Um, I think especially with how this past year has been, I think it was really beneficial that Smallville was not a very political show. Mm-hmm. Like Lex ran against Jonathan. You didn't know what parties they were with, nor did you really care. And I think that's kind of special. Um, but also, and I say this on the complete series DVD set, the show came out at a great time because it was a month after 9-11 when I think we wanted to see real heroism and truly good people. And I think that was something that went through. I mean, did Smallville sometimes hit, miss the mark? Of course, every show <laughs> does. Um, I mean, like, for example, I personally would have loved, um, so kind of personal story. I lost my dad when I was 19, kind of like Clark did. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. But, and he used to watch Lois and Clark with me and all that. So, you know, he was a big fueler of my own fandom. Sure. But the thing that I remembered thinking when I was watching it, though, or watching it on Smallville was, I know when my dad passed away, I felt like I got closer to my mom and got to know my mom more. And I always saw it more that, you know, like Jonathan taught Clark about right and wrong, but I thought Martha would teach him about heart, but they decided to just go after his love interests instead. But I, I wish they had given Martha more to do because of Neto Tool. I mean... As a Superman fan, you've known since Superman 3 that she's a gem. Yep. And she was probably one of my favorite people to talk to for the books. She was very honest. I'll, I'll have to send you the transcript of our interview unedited because oh, you will laugh. Oh, I would love Remind to see that. Me. Okay. okay. <laughs> my friend who transcribed it labeled it Annette's Last Stand. Wow. It was, it was fun. And the only thing that cut us off was that my phone card was only good for like an hour. So like we had to stop, but, uh, like I, I'm, I mean, like for me, I mean, when the show started in October, 2001, I still lived in Maryland. Um, it was around that time that I decided to move out to California. So like season one was airing when I was in California. So it really does have a demarcation of a period of time in my life. Sure. And it was just, um, it was fun to kind of obsess over that stuff and, you know, not worry about getting in trouble for what I was posting. Cause like now it's like not so easy. Like, you know, they're very secretive even about episode titles. Whereas like Smallville, I get the titles directly from Al. And that was great too, because I actually think titles are better than having spoilers because then you wonder what does this title mean? Yeah. You know, I, oh, I'm just, I don't want to forget. I know I had mentioned uh, that yeah. I had a little funny, a little story about uh, spoilers. Yes, the spoilers page. And so this wasn't actually, I think this, this came about on the forum. I don't think this was something that you, you had posted, but what happened was, I'm sure you remember this uh, at the end of season two, like right before the finale aired, I think it was the WB website. They posted a description for season three that gave away the ending of I don't remember two. that, but I know the first issue of the Smallville magazine gave away all the season four cliffhangers. Oh, because okay. it was published a few weeks early. 
Gotcha. Yeah, this was, I'm almost, I mean, I remember this like pretty vividly. Like I, and I think that was the situation was that it was like a, like yeah. something on the site was added too soon. It was like a few hours before the episode aired and it gave away what happened at the end of season two. And I think, it, I think someone posted it on the <clears throat> form. I, I, that I'm not a hundred percent sure. I think that's where I, where I Didn't saw Didn't we delete it. it quickly? Probably. But I remember yeah. having that moment. It was, a, it actually was an important lesson as a fan. Cause I remember seeing like, okay, I could click on this and, sp- and find out what happens. And I was so mm-hmm. excited to know what happened that I did read it. And that afterward, I was like, oh, I really wish I hadn't, I hadn't, you know, and it's one thing, you know, because again, like I would check the spoilers page on your site, right? And you know, you had teases of upcoming episodes and things like that. But this gave away like the cliffhanger yeah. endings of season two. And I, I just remember being like, no, like this, don't do that again. Like if you have an opportunity, like just yeah. go in fresh. I would never reve- reveal everything. Um I do remember getting an email. I don't even remember who sent it to me that gave away all the season three cliffhangers like a week before it aired. And there were a lot of them. <laughs> and that, that kind of stunk because then I knew up oh, Chloe's going to blow up or, you know, they're going to, there's going to be a fire in the field. I wish that I had not known that like in retrospect, like yeah. that was one of those where it was like, eh. um, I did have lunch with someone when I first moved to California. So it was season one who gave away all of the season one cliffhangers to me. And what was fun about that though, is he told me stuff that didn't end up happening. So like originally a bunch of stories they saved for season two were in the season one finale. Like when Clark speeds off to, you know, to the tornado, Pete was going to see him running off. Oh, interesting. So that was different. And Whitney was going to die in the tornado originally. Oh, oh, that is that so, is interesting. Yeah. So I remember like hearing all that. I'm like, I can't believe it. Like I was just like drooling. I was like so excited for it. And so now, again, you, you know, you over the course of our conversation, you know, you've mentioned, you know, having these interactions, you know, both face to face and via email with, you know, the the producers and cast and all. So. I, you know, you started the site. I know originally you had done a newsletter, right, for Lois, Lois and, and Clark. Clark. Yes. Right? The Krypton Club. Yeah. And then uh, once Smallville was announced, that was when you launched Krypton site? Uh, actually, what happened was, as an extension of my, my Lois and Clark stuff, I had a little page on AOL about this upcoming Teenage Clark Kent project. Long story short... I got an email from somebody who seemed to know a little too much about the project. And I played dumb. Like I didn't recognize their name and asked if I could be, um, if they would happen to know how I could get in contact with the producers. And I did the first major interview with the creator of Smallville, Al Goff that appeared anywhere. And I think that was around when I registered Krypton site. But uh, legend has it, Warner Brothers was pissed when he did it and that he hung up on them when they called him to yell at him. Wow. I actually got in trouble another time. Uh, this is kind of sad, actually. The day Christopher Reeve died. Mm. This is like the pre-Twitter era. I'm the one that told Alan Miles, for one. Mm. But because um, I was on the East Coast and it broke then or something. But I remember I emailed everybody I knew from Smallville for like quotes. And uh, I got like an angry phone call from uh, the publicist for Smallville at the time. Like, don't go directly to people like that. 
but already I'd had like Michael Rosenbaum sent me a nice story with a picture of him with Reeve. Um, somebody else sent me something. And then, yeah, so the publicist yelled at me. So then I emailed everybody who hadn't responded yet and was like, Hey, if you haven't sent me anything yet, don't, I got yelled at by the publicist and then Neto tool responds. And she's like, F the WB publicist, who the hell does she think she is anyway? And she sent it to me anyway. So I had to like email one of my contacts at the show. I was like, can you calm down the publicist? Because, you know, this is kind of a big deal. I'm not going to say no to the person who was Lana Lang to his Clark Kent and Superman three. Yeah. And I ended up using those quotes in the book. So it was good that I had them. But I think what happened was they were getting a lot of press emails and not being able to produce responses yet. And then here I just was posting everything. And I think actual press people were getting angry. And I, now that I do press, I understand that. Right. Like when something's uh, embargoed or something, I mean, that's a different situation. Yeah, right? exactly. But, 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 right? well, well, like I got so annoyed the other week. There was one of those sites that makes stuff up. They had a thing about the Peacemaker show. Sure. And yep. they said it was going to re-air on the CW or something stupid like that. And James Gunn called the site out publicly. But then they fixed their article and James Gunn like praised them for fixing their article. It's like, dude, do not give these mouth breathers attention. You know what I mean? Yeah. But that's but, really that's really interesting though yeah. that that's how uh so it sounds like like you like hit the ground running. I mean, getting that first interview probably yeah, uh, it, really because, you know, to have the level of access that, you know, you seem to have from a pretty early point, uh, that's, that's pretty remarkable. Well, because we didn't, like, I don't think they knew how to handle the internet like that back then. Like, I do remember when other people started to discover casting sides and were actually posting the actual sides on their sites. I remember Miles Miller was like, oh, it's only like a small percentage of the audience. Like, he didn't mm-hmm. even care. I mean, well, I'm sure he cared, but you know what I mean? He wasn't bothered by it. Right. And now, like, like going back even further in fandom, Lois and Clark, somebody I knew sent me the season three premiere a month before it aired. Wow. Unfinished visual effects and everything. And my friend Dan was also sent it, who also started the Krypton Club with me. And we would go in the AOL chat room for Lois and Clark and start reciting dialogue from the season premiere. And nobody knew what we were talking about, which made it even funnier. And then one day, like, a producer's like, hey, where do your spoilers come from? And it was one of the producers of the show. Like, I can understand. But now, if that had happened, he would have been calling up WB Legal to be like, these people are ruining our show, you know? Right. So, like, with like the- no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, but, like, for example, now, like, there are times when we might see something early and not be allowed to talk about it. And if we do talk about it or spoil something we're not supposed to we're cut off. You know what I mean? It's right. Right. No, that makes sense. Like, um, the earlier this year when CW announced their fall schedule, there was a website that broke the schedule before the embargo time. And they got a good yelling at, it wasn't me. It was good. (laughs) But yeah. So, I mean, you know, things have changed, but I mean, obviously now there's a lot more control over with the information that gets out there. I was just, yeah, it's like you said, I was very lucky and I feel so fortunate Um, I do miss the way things were a lot simpler back then. Like, you know, people paying attention to what's posted on the site, but also there was a lot more dialogue and guesswork. Like, Ooh, what's going to happen with, you know, Davis Bloom, what's his deal? You know? And now it's like, you can just read an article and be like, yeah, Davis Bloom is going to become doomsday in episode nine. And that was our plan all along. You know, I don't know. 
it's just, it's very different. Yeah, no, for sure. And, uh, I know you had, you had alluded to this earlier, but, uh, you said the forum is like not as active now. Right. And I assume right with um, social media, that's just kind of took over there. Yeah, not at all. Um, I wish it, I mean, I mean, you still get a few posts, but like, I mean, there was a time when you would have like a thousand people on the forum at one time. It was really like happy. Like we would have our live threads. And again, I think they still do it on like Reddit and stuff like that. But that was so much fun to just watch people reacting live as it was going on. Um, you can't really replicate that anymore. Uh, I know you had mentioned the uh, Chloe as Lois, uh, you know, uh, fan yes. theory that persisted in light of real world events recently. It's a good thing that that ended up not being the case yeah. and that we have Erica Durance as the, you know, the, the legacy yeah. of this character and not someone else. It's just, it's really unfortunate though, because Chloe, I mean, Chloe and Lionel were like the two greatest creations of that series, you know, as far as original characters go. And I'm sure it helped that they had, I mean, Allison Mack and John Glover were two of the most brilliant actors they had on the entire series. Uh, and Rosenbaum, of course. But, um, yes. you know, uh, but I mean, it's such a shame, you know, the stuff that has come out about Allison since then. And like I said to you before we were recording, it almost felt like somebody I went to high school with got arrested or something like that. Like, I mean, a lot of us knew that she was part of a weird like self-help group but I don't think any of us knew how deep it got or how deep she got. Um, I hope she's going to be okay ultimately. Um, and she gets the help that she needs because that guy really messed her up. <laughs> I think that's what it comes down to. Yeah. I mean, I'm not calling her blameless in any way, Sure. but you know, she was also a victim just as much as her victims were. Right. And yeah. I know that's like a very like, deep serious subject but um yeah it's it's just unfortunate i mean just all around and you know there were a lot of um like i had a friend who started a women's charity called legendary women and it was started by fans of chloe and they did a public service announcement with allison mack once and now it's just kind of almost embarrassing that they were part of this thing for women's empowerment and but you know like I think that's one thing that's also interesting about being a Superman fan, at least at least until the last two or three years with like crisis and all that, it was always the thing where you would have like a certain version of the story and then you'd never see those actors as those characters again. Like May 13th, 2011, I just assumed it was May 13th, right? Okay, just uh, making think, sure. Oh, geez. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just assumed that was the last time we'd ever see Tom Welling as Clark Kent or Erica as Lois Lane. So, like, to me, Crisis was like, oh, my God, it's real. You know what also got to me, though, was Elseworlds mm -hmm. when they played Save Me. I must have watched that scene like 60 times. I, uh, you know, so my wife and I were watching that and, and she's like uh -huh. dabbled in Smallville a little bit, but she didn't like watch it regularly. But, you know, she knows the theme song. She knows my love for it. And when that came uh -huh. on, I was like, oh, my God. But, you know, so 
but anyway, just to button up the you know the Allison Mack thing. Yes, very unfortunate. Like in a yeah, num- in so like in so many ways, it's 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 yeah. really absolutely uh, you know awful. Um, but yes, on on a happier note, um, yeah, the use of of the Smallville theme song in Elseworlds was 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 awesome. But I was I wanted to get your take on this because I know you cover the okay. Arrowverse shows and yes. I watch all of them. I've seen them all. I you know I I enjoy them. There are moments that you know like season two of Arrow, phenomenal. Like there season one of the Flash. Yes, uh, my. You know, I'll be candid. I've not been as engaged by these shows uh, in in recent seasons. You know, um, but you you definitely see how Smallville paved the way for these shows. You saw how Smallville paved the way, but also, I mean, and this is not a slight on any of these shows because they have a different kind of storytelling. But I don't think any of these series will last 218 episodes. No. And that's, that's what I wanted to get to because I feel like, you know, there, there are a lot of times, whether it's, you know, sometimes it's like storylines or story beats where I'm like, Oh, like we saw a version of this in Smallville or, you know, the, 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 in the production of the show itself. And I just feel like you see them borrowing from, from Smallville. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I and going back to what you were saying before, because I think this is really important. Uh, when you mentioned, you know, Alan Miles, the creators of Smallville, and, and what yeah. they in the development and the pilot, like that was such a strong pilot that they were like, you, they were still pulling stuff from that pilot years later. Like it gave well, them so much about that, fuel. Oh, no, it's okay. Another thing about that pilot is they thought ahead. Warner Home Video helped pay for that pilot. Which is why we have never had music replacements in Smallville. Oh, interesting. Whereas even like Birds of Prey, you pop that on and it's like the wrong theme song and it just irritates me. Gotcha. Or like when you try to watch Dawson's Creek or Charmed on Netflix and it's like, that's not the right theme song. Uh, But it's true. Like they thought ahead and they made these deals. And... I mean, David Nutter, of course, is a master at doing pilots, and he also did Arrow and the Flash pilots. Right. Um, But I just feel like Alan Miles came in to that show. I mean, obviously, plans changed. I mean, I will say, I feel like they came in with a plan for a show. Um, But, like, when I I watched the season three finale, Covenant, I think, was... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I watched that one for Zach's podcast, and I was like, Lex is starting to go bad. This feels like the midpoint of the show. (laughs) And I do sometimes think that maybe they would have ended with season five if season five hadn't gotten such huge ratings, but also the CW happened. Right. Because there's probably an alternate universe somewhere where Alan Miles went off to do Aquaman and the WB had continued and Smallville had just ended at like six. I don't think Aquaman had, like, I enjoyed that pilot. I don't think it would have lasted 10 seasons, right. let alone maybe three. But, um, yeah, I, I, maybe it's the characters, maybe it's the ensemble, but there was something magical about Smallville that just like kept it going and it kept us interesting or interested. It's also interesting to me that there are like different eras of fandom for that show. There's you and I who started with the beginning, but there are people who like love like season eight on. So I, I want to circle back then in a, in a second because okay. that was one of the things I sorry. wanted to mention. No, this, yeah, the, sorry. this is quite all right. Um, but what I was going to say is, you know, so, you know, we got a magnificent pilot with Smallville. And, you know, of course, the pilots for the other Arrowverse shows, you know, have been strong as well. But, you know, going back to what you were saying about that, um, you know, the, the early seasons and the first season in particular, uh, you know, the freak of the week. Yeah. formula that Smallville utilized, you know, I, I didn't 
minded. And I, to me, you know, the show always felt more character driven. And it's like, yes, the Freak of the Week allowed, you know, like you said, you know, to sort of take some of these teen issues and, and kind of spin them in a little bit of a comic book way. And it gave yeah. Clark someone to fight and someone to use his powers against. And so you have that element of spectacle. But I always felt like, you know, the heart of the show were, you know, the the barn scenes between Clark and Lana yes. and the heart to hearts with Jonathan, like all that stuff. And, you know, the CW shows now with the Arrowverse, you know, they all follow that formula of the season long big bad and they all have you know you know the arc of the season of all of these shows you know the points yeah. that they're going to hit along the way yeah and you know they're some are you know very enjoyable but i feel like uh yeah they don't quite match what smallville did and i also think as much as i know sometimes not sometimes i think a lot of times fans we you know we're frustrated with the fact that he was forever getting to the point of becoming Superman. But like, to me, it's like, you know, that was the story. And also I think there was, it just gave it added weight that we were building to something and we knew what was coming, but it was like, how are you getting there? And you don't quite have that with, with these shows. You know, one thing that I also think was different about Smallville compared to like later things because they didn't have the social media. Yes, I do know some of them did read Krypton site, but still I feel like they didn't, at least in the earlier seasons, didn't pander to fans as much. Like, Niles Miller, before season four, said at Comic-Con that Klana is dead. Can you imagine the death threats a producer would get if they said that in public now? <clears throat> but what's kind of brilliant about them is, like, with the female leads, like in season five especially, Lana was his girlfriend, but Chloe was his best friend. So each character had something that was still important about them. And I think that was important, too. Like... Back then, I remember the early seasons of Smallville, like, you could have an episode without, say, Chloe in it, and you wouldn't even notice, because the episode was so strong. Like, she's not in Memoria, for example. Right. Yeah. And that's one of the best episodes of the series. And it's not because Chloe's gone, but, like, later on in the series, I feel like if an episode was missing Chloe or missing Lois, there was, like, a void going on. And it was kind of weird. But. Yeah. No, I get what you're saying. Also, uh, and again, not, you know, not to, you know, pit Smallville against the Arrowverse or anything like that, but it's so funny to me how in most of these Arrowverse shows, like the secret identity among the other, you know, main characters is really not a thing, right? Like their identities are no. known and they all have their teams. And it's like, we spent so many, se like so much of Smallville was Clark hiding his secret. And it's just so funny yeah. to me to watch all these shows. And it's like, but like within the first season or maybe two. Well, I, I'm kind of not a fan of that whole everybody has their own team thing. And I don't. Like, I don't even really Supergirl like has her own team. Yeah, I'm not really a fan of that, to be honest. Like, I will tell you, I read, you know, gosh, it was probably a year ago now at this point, the Superman and Lois pilot script. And my only real complaint about it that I hope they resolve is that it would have been a better show if it had been like Smallville and been the only superhero show on tv at that time because i feel like you know like every aspect of the series we might have somewhere like you know you have a family in black lightning or you have an older superhero in this other show you know you have a reporter in iris west right like so i'm sure it's going to be challenging for them to stay unique and original because like when smallville was on the only thing like it really during its run might have been heroes actually because Birds of Prey was only 13 episodes and that was it. Yeah. Like, I remember. I remember. Yeah. I was I was there for it. 
<laughs> yeah, but I mean, so that that also probably contributed to the show's longevity. I mean, now sure. I feel like there's like seven CW superhero shows next season. Maybe I'm wrong. Something like this that. coming season. I mean, yeah. obviously, you know, Supergirl's winding down and, and all of that, but Black Lightning's ending. But yeah, so you know, a little bit of a shift, but I know it's it's amazing. You know, again, like you know, watching Smallville, and I just remember being so grateful to have that. You know, and and obviously they stayed away from like the full on you know comic book elements yeah. for so long, and so to see all of these shows, you know, to see the characters in costume so quickly, not just hoodies. Yeah, uh, it's really, and actually I wanted to ask you as far as, you know, your site, I mean, like we said, you know, it's grown from, you know, Smallville to, to covering a yeah. whole host of, of shows. I mean, uh, I guess. The traffic I, is nothing compared to what it was. Oh, really? Yeah. 10, 15 years ago though. Oh. Because again, everybody's covering the same stuff. Oh. I mean, 2008, you Google Smallville, I might've come up before the CW website. Right. All I know. So if that was your question. No, I was just going to ask about uh, um, sort of, although that is interesting to know, but no, I was just going to ask, you know, as far as deciding to, you know, take the plunge and expand the coverage. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, was that an easy decision or were you kind of like, oh, I don't know if I want to, you know, take all of this on? Had that kind of play I, out? Well, I actually wish I had done it sooner because then I would have probably gotten my foot in the door more while Smallville was still in the air. But, you know, I, get what you're I saying, cover yeah. all TV now on K-Site TV, you know. Whatever I like, I write about. Like, you know. Um, but, I, I mean, I did expand a little bit. Like, you know, there was a Birds of Prey site when Gotham Clock Tower, when... When they were going to do thing. that, when they were going to do that Grayson site too, right? Where you, did you set yeah, something I up? Or were, yeah, I remember that. I, I had something for that. Um, I had Wonder Woman when that was that David E. Kelly NBC pilot that was not good. Right. Did have Pedro Pascal in it though. I wonder if he's ever done anything with Wonder Woman again. <sighs> That's yeah, a... that yeah. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't Turkey that put me to sleep this Christmas. I, you know, I, I um. <laughs> for the most part, I on these podcasts, I like to I like to focus on the stuff that I liked. So let's just say I probably won't be doing an episode on uh, Wonder Woman 1984. <laughs> I didn't hate it, but uh, yeah, um, but yeah, I had that. But I also had the Heroes website. That was an interesting story, actually, too, because I wasn't on the ground floor with that. So what happened was, again, Smallville Connections. I got two emails the same day, one from Greg Beeman, the other from Jeff Loeb. Beeman wanted me to do something like Krypton site for Heroes. Jeff Loeb wanted me to write for the official Heroes site. So I, I was more afraid of Jeff Loeb. So I did the, the NBC site. Okay, for starters, they took five months to start paying me. So that was not good. Um, but also, I felt like I was a shill writing for the official site. Mm. And it was at a time when Heroes first started and it hadn't gotten that good yet. So that made me feel like I wasn't being genuine with my audience. And it was weird, too, because it's like it was hosted on NBC servers, yet they wouldn't give me access to their press site. It was just a mess. So ultimately, around the time I actually started genuinely love Heroes, that's when I quit. And uh, Loeb luckily wasn't mad at me for it. And then I did the Heroes website. And that went on. Um, unfortunately, I forgot to renew the domain, but that went on for a while. And okay, we were talking about canon and our head canon. Heroes Reborn did not happen. 
Okay. I was I I only watched the first season of Heroes, so Oh, uh, you were yeah. so lucky. You saw the good stuff. I uh, I'll be honest. I didn't even really think that was that. There's a oh, reason really? why I stopped. Okay. So you know, well, like I uh, said, it was okay what, for me. Well, it's like I said, the early episodes, I wasn't really genuinely in love with it yet. But around like episode nine or ten, I'm like, this is amazing. Yeah. I mean, I still miss that version of the show. But you know, networks mess with things. Um, <clears throat> that said, if somebody said, "Craig, do you want to like pitch a Heroes revival?" I'd be like. Hell yes. <laughs> uh, but, you know, and, I, I, I get what you're saying, though, as far as having, you know, the the autonomy, right, with your own site. And, yeah. you know, even just circling back to, you know, how you really got Krypton site off the ground. And I know you said you were lucky, you know, you got in early. And, and yes, I mean, I, yeah. I, I know that was, but, you know, moving forward, you know, and I'm not blowing smoke, but, I mean, you were, su- your site, you and your site, you were a wonderful ambassador for the show. So it's like, I'm sure, you know, they... I'm sure they value that and they recognize the value that you brought to the show and to the fans. That's probably why Beeman and Loeb came to me to begin with. Now, um, yeah, for sure. I was going to say, when you mentioned getting spoiled, Beeman spoiled the season nine finale of Smallville on his blog. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, no. Like the day before, it's like the scene where Lois finds out that Clark, it's like, uh, I, you know, yeah. I really dug that season nine finale, that uh, rooftop that fight in the rain. So that was great. Especially because I wasn't really feeling the new Krypton arc, but that finale was like, well, yeah, I actually had the conversation with Al once where and I think he agreed with me. So I hope I'm not speaking out of turn, but like sometimes the lesser seasons of Smallville had the better finales. Uh, yeah. Like I season could... four. That was a great finale. Yes. Um, Phantom was a pretty good finale. It was. You're right. Although I, I mean, no. I feel like most of the finales, like they were, yeah. were there, were there ones that except you were... for Doomsday. Okay, that was the worst finale in the history of the show. <clears throat> I could not agree more. Uh, I remember. Let me just do, do the quick math on this. Okay, so that was the year I graduated college, and okay. I remember there was, and it was like the weekend of graduation, and so that I think it was this. That was season eight. Was on Thursday nights. Was it Thursday or Friday at that point? I want to. I think, I think it, it was Thursday. I think it was Thursday. I think yeah. it was Thursday. So that Thursday night, the weekend was graduation, but that Thursday night they did this honors ceremony uh, at right. Fordham, and so that's where I was when Doomsday was airing. And I remember Sorry. I was like, I got like I was like I couldn't wait to get home so that I could watch <laughs> it, and I had it on the DVR. I was so excited, and I remember being so mad. At that, at that finale, I worked at the comic shop, my local comic yeah. shop the next day. And I, you know, to this day, I remember I was in such a bad mood like all day because of that finale. Well, that, that episode, <laughs> and this is another reason why I'd love to do a season eight book or beyond. Like my biggest nightmare is that they hired somebody else to do those books because I want to do it. But originally, Tom wasn't signed for seasons nine and ten. So that could have been the final episode of the series. Clark and Kent is dead. <laughs> what an ending. No, I don't know what the... Well, <laughs> actually, I do know one thing they would have done, but Tom ultimately signed, and then filming was delayed by about, like, two weeks, I think. So they really just, like, wrote, I think, some of that script at the last minute, and that's probably partly why it was a mess. Another thing about that is Sam Witwer was supposed to play Zod. That I was aware of, yeah. Yeah. And they set that up uh, in the, re- earlier in the season, yeah. right? Where they're like, oh, yeah. you look just like, you're, like, just like Zod. And there was even an 
Uh, I remember there was a leak that I cannot find on the internet anymore now. It was a girl posted a picture in the makeup trailer at Smallville, and there's a picture of Sam Witwer with a goatee behind her. Right. Well, so, Sam Witwer's it, not been shy that he wasn't a fan of how his yeah. arc ended there. I love that he's on the complete series DVD set, though, because I was like, I never thought he would talk about Smallville again. Yeah, but, well, and now he's been doing the panels means. and stuff, you know, so I think, you know, with the passage of, of, of time, too, you know. Oh, yeah. Well, it seems like he had a good job, but he's just like, my contract says I'm playing Davis Bloom. It says nothing about me playing Zod. Yeah. And that's ultimately what happened. But, you know, as far as, you know, that potentially being the end, you totally see that. I mean, because I feel like, especially at the beginning of that season and early on, I mean, obviously we saw some major forward movement at that season premiere yeah. with him moving, you know, the, a lot of the action moving to Metropolis and starting at the Daily Planet. And then this whole idea of Doomsday being, because I feel like Doomsday was really presented as like this final test for him, a la the island for Oliver. Like they really played that up a lot, like this big, like this big battle, this big test. So it would have made sense if it was like he fought Doomsday and then he, you know, he, you know, and fulfilled I'm pretty his destiny. sure that when they got the, when they got, well, yeah, I know that when they got Tom for season nine, they also had him for 10. So I think at that point they knew they were doing 10. Yeah, I mean, I do remember, though, it's kind of funny, at Comic-Con before season nine, in the panel, they're like, do you guys want ten seasons? And everybody cheered. And I was kind of cringing, because I'm like, do we really need to go, like, this far? I mean, <laughs> those in season ten I love, but it's like, it's probably how Supernatural fans have felt in the last six years, where it's like, another season, really? You know? I know, and I, I think, you know, it's especially tricky in Smallville's case where you have, like, there's something that you're specifically building toward, and the longer that the show runs, you're just, you're, you know, you continue delaying it, and you have to keep putting, you know, little obstacles, you know, in, in its place, but you had mentioned, like, the errors of the show, and that was actually one of the things I wanted yeah. to ask you, because, you know, we can draw lines, like, you know, various points in the series. The way I kind of, I always look at it as, like, the high school years, and I would yes. throw in the first 12 episodes of season five, probably, to that as well, and then okay. I, I kind of always look at the second half, you know, post-Jonathan's death, six and seven, you know, as kind of like the limbo yeah. seasons where he's just kind of like hanging out at the farm. And then eight, <laughs> nine and ten where we really start to get some some forward momentum. But again, how, whether you subscribe to that demarcation or you divide it differently, like what's your favorite era of oh, the show? The first three the seasons first. for sure. Yeah. I mean, they had such great writers in that era. I mean, you had Alan Miles. Not to say that the later writers were not great. I mean, there were some great ones like Brian Q. Miller, Don Whitehead, Holly Henderson, Al, Al Septian, Terry Meyer, Caroline Dries, you know, a lot of them. I love them. Don't, you know, I'm not discounting them. Um, so if you're watching and I didn't mention you, no, but um, <laughs> no, but like, you know, you had Alan Miles, you had Mark Verheiden, you had Doris Egan, uh, Philip Levins wrote some good stories, Michael Green. A lot of these people have gone on to big things too. Um, Jeff Loeb. I mean, having an actual comics OG, you know, the guy who wrote Superman for all seasons yeah. as part of the show was a really big deal. And he did, I mean, he did a lot of my favorite season two episodes. Red and Insurgents, two of my yeah, favorites. Yeah, for exactly. Sure. I mean, he also wrote Legacy. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'm just kidding. That was a bad episode, though. Uh, even though they had Christopher Reeve, it's like, this doesn't make sense. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I just, I love those early seasons because, I, I mean, we as fans were discovering it and entering that world, but also, you know, kind of like it was an innocent time for Clark, it was like an innocent time for fandom. Like, you didn't have the fandom meanness that we have now. 
where you know people do get mad over who you want to see a character with in the end or something like that. Like I also saw the fandom start to get really mean around season six when people started to see the end coming. A little did we know. We'd have another four years to go, but you know what I mean? It's like, like I remember when watching the season five premiere and the, you know, they have the new opening credits and usually new opening credits are a sign of shows in its last year. Like if you ever watch doctor who, when they change the opening credits, it's usually that's that doctor's mm-hmm. final year. Like Tom Baker got the Peter Davison synth music, which was not in any other episodes, but his final season, you know, stuff like that. So Yeah. Um, it just, I thought it was near the end then. And I mean, I mean, Clark literally says in the pilot, ask me again in five years. Right. Yeah, no, I think you definitely, you, you know, looking at those early seasons and, you know, to the extent that Alan Miles, like from what I've read in interviews, like talking about their original, like four year plan, five year plan. Yeah. I think you definitely see, uh, like the, how the fifth season in particular really could have set up the end. And I, I've always kind of had the sense that like that's in their minds, like they saw building to the fortress and probably doing something akin to uh, like, you know, pulling from Superman, the movie where like he goes to the fortress and yeah. a lot of time passes and then he's Superman and he flies off and that's the end of the show. I mean, like it, that's well, kind of what it always seemed like the original intention was something like that. I mean, I think Al is on record now of saying they had a seven year plan. Okay. I don't necessarily buy that, but because like season five, it's like when they killed Jonathan, I thought that was leading up to the big confrontation with Lex and I guess Brainiac and how season five, maybe that would be the end of the show. And then you saw the same thing happen again in season seven when Lex killed Lionel. But some of that was the writer's strike. I also think Smallville could have ended at seven seasons if we hadn't had the writer's strike. And they had been able to wrap up everybody's stories. Because, I mean, that was pretty complicated to have to, like, almost everybody but Tom had to re-sign their contracts after that year. Right. I mean, I remember the fall schedule announcement that year. I think the only people on the series regular list for season eight were, like, Tom, Erica, Aaron Ashmore, and I think one other person. I don't think Allison was even officially signed yet. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, it was a tremendous yeah. amount of cast turnover between seasons seven and eight. I mean, well, and you, you know, like major, <laughs> major main characters. I was on set for my season seven book when they were filming Veritas and Traveler. Okay. And because of the writer's strike, Veritas could have been the season finale. And I remember I saw a scene, the scene where uh, Clark and Chloe are going down the hallway and it's like near the end of Veritas. And I remember it, Allison gave Tom a hug and was like, I think we just filmed our final scene together. Like she, she thought she was leaving. It's, it's interesting. And I remember with that too, right? They filmed, they filmed a scene where Lex makes it to the fortress, yeah. right? Cause that was, yeah, one that of the was originally, yeah, that was, that was shot. That was in the original. Like I actually remember when I was talking to the people who were doing the complete series DVD set, like I was like, you should just put together like an alternate cut of Veritas that was the original version because the original version it's on the DVD, the like the clip of Kara's fortress being built. That was one of the cliffhangers. Oh, okay. It was completely cut. Um, yeah. Kara's fortress Lex and Lex killed Lionel in that version. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Like John Glover never came back that season. 
Gotcha. No, that makes sense. Yeah. I think I remember, yeah. I must've read maybe probably, you know, any information I had really came from your site. So it's like, well, yeah, I know right. I wouldn't have posted that they kill Lionel in the episode, okay. but yeah. Um, I do remember like, I feel like Oziello, who I don't know who he wrote for, maybe it was entertainment weekly back then. I think he got the scripts cause he would sometimes report on stuff that was in the scripts, but never happened. Okay. Like, yeah. um, for, what was Lana's last? Was it Prodigal? No, no that that was the uh, Lucas Luther episode. Wait, why am I forget? It's not Power. It's the one after Power. Oh, her final episode in season yeah. eight. Yeah. Oh, geez. yeah. I'm blanking on the title too. Yeah. Yeah. So you all can hate me now, um, but either way, like in that script, they were going to have the voice of Lex Luther, but Michael didn't want to do it. Which is a shame because that would have been fun. But I remember Oziello spoiled that also, though a version of Veritas had Genevieve Teague in the flashback. Oh, interesting. Instead of uh, Jason's dad. Yeah. And what's also weird is the scene I saw them filming in Traveler, there was a reference to Jason's dad being dead. But then when the writer's strike didn't happen, or, you know, when the writer's strike ended, they ended up bringing back him, the holographic doctor who. I don't know how him plus Dr. Quinn medicine woman could make a Jason T, but <laughs> I, yeah, I, you know, but that, I know that I, I remember, you know, that, that, you know, whole production aspect with, with the writer strike and, and with Veritas in particular, I got to say though, just speaking about season seven, it's so funny on uh, the latest uh, episode of Rosenbaum's podcast that Tom Welling yeah. is on at the very end of the episode, Rosenbaum, you know, they're parting and he's like, I love you like a brother the exact same thing <laughs> lex said it was so weird like no. these two guys in real life expressing the same sentiment yeah. very different circumstances it's <laughs> very different but they tone. don't have a poorly made sunset in front of them yeah like in was it hug <laughs> that was like the worst sunset ever yeah uh but yeah no it's, it's fa- i mean uh, and again just going back to like the the eras i'm with you the early seasons are definitely my favorite um but yeah. i do have you know i have to say like I really felt like they got a nice boost creatively in season eight as much as. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, from the production standpoint, I know they weren't really outdoors as much. We didn't get as much mute, like licensed music. <laughs> on the one street. The one street in Metropolis, they got a lot of play, but like, again, moving, moving Clark to the daily planet and, and, uh, you know, developing the relationship with Lois. It's like, I really felt like, uh, and again, I think born out of necessity. I mean, they were losing Lex and losing Lana. It's like they had to, yeah. Give a it's little, amazing the little show lasted movement. three years after that. I know. I would not have predicted that. But I, I think that, uh, but, yeah, they did a nice job. But they had to. Like, they had to, you know, do something all new. I feel like Smallville kind of prepared us for that with shows doing it now. We, like, understand that stuff more. It's like I was telling a friend of mine who likes Riverdale. I was like, just wait till we get to, like, season seven when, like, you know, Jughead and Betty just decide to leave the show. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Or, like, I'm very curious about The Flash because... Yeah, they're about to enter season seven. Like, who's going to still be around in season eight? I'm assuming they're doing a season eight because why not? Even though the show hasn't been what season one was, but it's like a high watermark. You know what I mean? Like, I think the Flash season one was probably my favorite Arrowverse season, followed by Arrow season two. Okay, right on. I probably you know, I would flip them, but I'm with. I mean, yeah, those are those yeah. are the two. Yeah, for sure. And surprisingly, Legends of Tomorrow has become one of the best shows of the whole thing. 
that's been, I, you know, I tell that to everyone and it's like, yeah. you know, cause it's, you wouldn't necessarily expect it. And the first season, you know, they were more of the standard Arrowverse show, but they it, really came into their own and they just went but for But season it. one was kind of bad and not in a good way. Uh, right. Yeah. And no, I don't disagree. But when you got to <laughs> like, I remember the mood I was in the first time I saw the finale where they had the giant Bebo and it just brought me so much joy. Yeah. And sometimes we need that kind of joy. Like, obviously you don't want a giant Bebo in Smallville, but <laughs> On that show, it just kind of worked. And also, Legends of Tomorrow was the first Arrowverse show to kind of reference Smallville. Do you remember that? Oh, wait, refresh my memory. Vandal Savage used the alias Curtis Knox. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because uh, that was supposed to be Vandal Savage that Dean Cain was playing. Ah, uh, Dean Cain. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to talk about him. I won't talk about him, but uh, you know, uh, I'm, at some point I definitely am going to cover Lois and Clark on this podcast and I'm oh. trying to decide like how to do it. I mean, maybe I'll pick your brain and, and if you are interested in being on oh, for it, I'd be happy. To that was you. my first fandom, like internet fandom. I can tell you stories about that. That was maybe we'll including bring seven or 16 or 17 year old me and one of my friends impersonating actors from the show in the AOL chat room one time. And then my friend signed like one of the posts under his own screen name with the actor's name or something. Yeah, it was bad. We were bad. We're bad kids. We would have gotten banned from Krypton site. (laughs) But yeah, (laughs) maybe we'll talk about Lois and Clark down the line because I don't I don't think I have it in me to do a full series rewatch. Um, but I would want to, I don't want to just do it from memory. I would want to rewatch some. So I don't know, maybe like picking an arc or something like that. Like I know you were on the Lois and Clark podcast, right? Yes. You did the new Krypton. Matt actually lives near me. Oh, nice. Not was that? lately, right. but <laughs> yeah, you know, I haven't seen him lately because of COVID, but, uh, no, we, um, he does a great job with that podcast too. And, um, I would actually recommend Los. It's kind of like your heroes thing. I recommend season one. Yeah. I mean, later they had some fun episodes. Um, one of my favorite episodes of Lois and Clark would probably be considered kind of sexist now, like time traveling character named Tempest who basically just served to show Lois how stupid she is for not realizing that Clark is Superman. Oh yeah, no, I remember. Like that's pretty sexist now, but like it was a fun episode at the time. That duh. Yeah. I'd, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why haven't Smallville or Lois and Clark been able to get Mixius Pitalik right? Or Supergirl, really? I I did like the the mixing in the hundredth episode. I thought that was okay. fun. The Thomas Lennon but version. But the I the other one wasn't as good. Yeah. No, no, I know. And it was weird because when they did the Music Meister episode, he acted more like Mixius Pitalik. Yeah. I know. That one's been a tough nut for that. I, I mean, I think it's tough in live action and especially on television. But yeah, I don't know. You would think they would come a little bit closer. I know. We've gotten a few wonky. Not foreign exchange student who was like, Mikhail, wasn't right? it like the noise of bees or something that kicked him away? Oh, yeah. Something like that. Something weird like that. I know. Yeah. How, how often do you rewatch episodes of Smallville, if at all? Oh, gosh. Well, I obviously I rewatch them when I'm going to talk about them with Zach. Sure. I um, so since the pandemic, I've been watching. Well, it's become the same TV show every day with one of my friends, but uh, we watch a show and then we talk about it on the phone later that night. That's really just, nice to stay sane. Yeah. During the pandemic, and we picked random Halloween episodes of shows. So I made him watch Thirst. Oh God. <laughs> I don't hate Thirst. Although one of my favorite like things that I've done, it was also me kind of being annoying. Um, I remember I was giving Greg Beeman shit about it on the set of heroes. And I was like, 
And then you ripped off the Veronica Mars voiceover. And I said, that's right in front of Kristen Bell. So I was kind of <laughs> proud of that. Yeah. I you mean, know. you know, look over the course of the show, you know, over 200 episodes and, and, you know, doing, you know, long seasons, you know, they're not all, I mean, uh, I'm not going to rewatch ageless anytime soon. No, probably not. Yeah, <laughs> I know. That's uh, like, I know, but even, you but, know, it's funny, like, even though like some of the weaker episodes, again, I think still you at least have some, the character moments, even if the plots were a little, little weak. Well, it's kind of like how, um, Lois and Clark season four was my least favorite season of that show. But now if I watch an episode from season four, it almost feels new to me because I didn't rewatch as much as the other ones. Like Smallville season one, I probably watched those episodes dozens of times, you know, just in the background. I mean, I've definitely had the pilot on a lot of times. Um, and then, you know, there are later episodes, like I adored homecoming. I thought that was a wonderful 200th episode. Yep. I'm a big fan of that one. I thought that was, and very important for Clark to learn that lesson about, you know, living in the moment and not dwelling on the past. I mean, they hit you over the head with it throughout the episode. I mean, even though this entire conversation we've been dwelling on the past, yeah, (laughs) but it's 2021 it's things aren't better yet. So, um, that's our excuse. But um, like, I also thought Homecoming did a good job of remembering the old version of Chloe, even though Allison wasn't in the episode. Mm-hmm. Like the whole of those kid journalists, I thought that was really cute just to have something like that. Um, yeah, there were a few. I mean, Luther was really good. Uh, the season premiere was good. Um, yeah, I really liked Lazarus a lot, uh, you know, uh, and the... It was funny too seeing the you know the juxtaposition of you know Clark's final scenes in the episode with Jorel you know and then mm-hmm. Jonathan and just you know the contrast between the two and just so much warmth and love from Jonathan and and the, you know the words that he needed to hear the Jorel thing that really made me laugh and I joke about this all the time with my fellow Smallville uh, friends who watch but like so much of the show right was Clark you know being unsure of himself being down on himself you know racked with guilt all the time and the one time this guy like feels good about himself and he's in the fortress with Jorel and he's like I did it I saved everyone and Jorel just like knocks him down he's like you're so prideful <laughs> like you're so vain it's like the one time is that when he took away his powers or something he didn't yeah. take away the powers but he took away the suit remember Clark because Martha oh, yeah. had left him the suit and he was, he was oh, yeah. gonna put it on <laughs> Jorel zapped him away. He's like, you're not ready. You're too prideful. A true story is Tom Welling paid Jorel to take away the suit. Yeah, I think that uh, that makes sense. You know, that does remind me of something I didn't like about the later seasons, though, is I didn't like that so many characters would come in just to tell Clark how much he sucks. Like Oliver Queen would do it. Uh, Supergirl did it. Yeah, it's like, come on, let, let Clark have a few wins. I don't, uh, I don't, I don't disagree. Uh, what, what I liked about, and then I'll let you go because we've been talking for for a long oh time, gosh. and I want to let you get on with your your evening. But uh, what I did like about the the later seasons is that, uh, I mean, again, we got some forward movement, but I really liked the accepting the fact that we weren't going to see him as Superman until the very end. Right. I liked the idea in the context of the show of the red blue blur and then and the blur. This idea that like, okay, he's not going to put on a costume and show himself to the world, but he is going to be a superhero. He's going to be saving people and he's just going to be doing it in secret. It at least gave, you know, something a little bit new to play. And I also felt like 
it's realistic. I mean, that's, I have a, you know, I, I'll, I could do a whole rant on, on the origin story of Superman generally, but I feel like it's this huge leap that's like kind of always taken for granted of like, oh yeah, he'll put on the costume and become a superhero. And I feel like Smallville mm-hmm. showed like a much more realistic path where it's like, okay, first he would try doing this in secret and then realize that he needs to step into the light. And so I, again, born out of the necessity of needing to like fill more seasons, but yeah. I liked, I actually like that. And some of the best scenes like, I mean, I guess he wasn't completely out as the blur yet, but like, was it season five or six premiere where the flood is coming and he saves the kid? Mm-hmm. And like, he gives him that like little that. nod. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love that stuff. I also love the shot. I think it might have been when somebody shot a missile at uh, the talent when it blew up and he like speeds in and saves Lois. That's another like favorite shot. I think it's hilarious that that actor who played Rick Flagg was in the Suicide Squad movie. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like in Man of Steel. There's a bit where they're like, oh, here, <laughs> this is Dr. Hamilton. And the next scene, we see Dr. Hamilton from, you know. I know. I love that. <laughs> like, I was like, I see what you guys are doing there. I remember I wrote an article for Krypton site of like the actors who were in both like Man of Steel and Smallville. There were quite a few. Right, yeah. So, and now we're just like, I, I can't wait for these. This person was in Smallville and they're also in Superman and Lois. Yeah, for sure. With that I'm sure. Like, I still can't believe Arrow got Jeremy Creek and Smallville didn't. Yeah, I don't. Uh, that would have been a great, I, I, I think he should have been in uh, Homecoming. Homecoming rather than. But Bug Boy. Because <laughs> Bug Boy became a pile of bugs in the end. And I, I think in the comics they killed him. I'm not sure, but oh. I think he did. Anyway. Yeah. So many things. I appreciate you having me on. I'm sorry I go on so many tangents. No, listen, this well, I really this was a lot of fun and I'm glad that yeah. you know, again, we've exchanged, you know, comments and messages on Facebook, but yeah. to actually have a conversation, you know, was was really nice. And uh listen, I appreciate you taking it. I know you're a busy guy and I appreciate you talking to me for as long as as long as you have. I hope you had a good time. This was wonderful. Like I said, it feels so good to talk about that period of time that, you know, again, I think because we weren't like force fed everything, it was very exciting to just wonder what's happening next. But also like our attention wasn't all over the place. Like it wasn't like, Oh, we got these six movies coming out this year. We've got one division episodes, one and two coming out today. We have this, that, and the other thing. I mean, Smallville was all we had pretty much. I mean, and sometimes they didn't even release the trailers from Comic-Con online. I remember, like, but that was all we had to go on that summer. Like, oh, did you see that Lionel showed up in the trailer? What's up with that? You know, and you know, the other thing they did on Smallville that I really miss in TV is when they would change the opening titles every year. Yeah. Or, I, I mean, the fact that they even had opening pick. titles. Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know. I mean, I know seasons two and three use the same ones. And, you know, but like, and even like season four where they took Allison Mack out to try to trick us. Right. Even though she's literally in the first shot of season four. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I I think that's really fun. Um, I miss that. And it got me in the mood. Like you heard Save Me. You knew you were in for like an hour of Smallville goodness. Uh, that, exactly. And, you know, I don't I don't mean to keep like dumping on the Arrowverse, but yeah, no. but but, um, it, you know, because I was thinking about this. It's like, yeah, it would be great if Flash had a theme song or Supergirl had a theme song. And, yeah. and 
again, this is a snarky thing to say, but you know, again, I watch all these episodes and it's like, I know that commercial breaks are longer and they have less story time to work with, but I watch these episodes. They could spare 20 to 30 seconds, I think, and it would be okay. And we could, you know, we could, we could have something like this. But also you have the thought like, wait, Iris has been in the mirror for how many episodes now? Right. Yeah. You know, that sort yeah. of, but also it's, it's also weird, you know, things like the final season of Arrow, which a lot of it was spent setting up a spinoff that never actually got picked up. Yeah. So, I don't know, like, there was really something special about Smallville, and I really do wish somebody would get Alan Miles to do another comic book TV show someday. I don't know if they have any interest in it. Um, I think kind of what worked for Smallville, it definitely worked for Tom, was that it wasn't a superhero TV show. Yeah. You know, yeah. it was about characters. Um, it was about family. Like, I, that's another thing I love about the early seasons when, like, Pete and Chloe would just come by the house and have breakfast with the Kents. Yeah. No, I know. It's like little moments like that. I, I, I know. I think that really just gave the show uh, a lot of humanity and texture. And you don't get that, you know, and, and not just with the Arrowverse, but, you know, the yeah. superhero shows. Well, uh, like, which ones of us wouldn't dream of having a big old barn to hang out in all the time? Yeah. Like, that might have been my favorite Smallville set. Right on. Yeah, you I know, mean, that's I- it iconic. Was like, you know, that's like the dream. Um, so, I don't know. Like, I'm glad the show is still easily available on Hulu or DVD. <laughs> Not Blu-ray, apparently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, you know, hopefully eventually it'll be on, like, HBO Max alongside all these other shows. For sure. I would, I mean, I hope that that's in the works because it certainly deserves its place within that DC hub. Uh, yeah. You know, on, on HBO. Yeah. Now Max. the DC universe doesn't exist right. or who knows, but in a different then, form. you know, that's the other thing that I think Smallville taught us is like, you don't have to have a character saying F Batman for your show to stand out. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, it had its risque moments, but it was overall pretty wholesome, especially, you know, in the, in the, in the earlier seasons. Yeah. You know, um, and if it didn't get wholesome, they just forget it the next episode. You know, Clark gets married, goes to Vegas, she dies, and then he's trying out for football the next week. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I, I still will stand by the notion that I think Tom had the most chemistry with Sarah Carter. Oh, compared to the other uh, yeah. love interests on Smallville? Yeah. Yeah, there was really something there for sure. Yeah. I think it's because they weren't forced to make it awkward. Because like with Lois, they had to play that "I hate you" aspect. Like that for brother, a while. yeah, that like more like yeah, almost sibling and, vibe initially, yeah. And then you know, like Lana, they would always have those awkward pauses. And then Chloe, I think they weren't intending to make her a love interest, so they were the most natural with each other. Yeah. It's it's so weird, but I know it's. Well, good stuff. Well, thank you for having me on. I'm sorry to keep talking. No, again, <laughs> listen, this has been a lot of fun. Like I said, I appreciate you taking the time. I thank you again for your site and all the great work that you've done and you continue to do, uh, you know, ksitv.com and uh, where people can follow you on social media as well, right? Ksite TV, um, Krypton site, um, anything like that, pretty much. You know, still keeping it up. Um, Sometimes on Twitter for Krypton site, like if it's like a famous day in Smallville history, I'll post it if I remember to like, you know, 20 years ago today, Ageless aired 
and everybody's just like groaning because it's bad. <laughs> I'm kidding, but uh, yeah, it's rag on ageless. I think you need to do a podcast just devoted to the episode ageless. Maybe. Well, I don't... <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure there's going to be like other things that are cross my mind. And I'm just going to like message them to you and be like, "Yeah, we should have talked about that, but we're good." You know, uh, again, I think we we got so much yeah, great content for, for this episode yeah. but you know yeah this, we're good this is an ongoing podcast series so i you know if you're game i'd love to have you back down the line whether it's smallville or, or anything else along your superman well, fan journey so you know well what i think would be interesting if you're doing your fan journey chronologically which some of it seems to be some of if, it is but for the most part i am jumping yeah. around but, but what's your thought no but if you wanted to pop in to like the middle of smallville and talk about how that was like a different time. I don't know. That might be fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, or Smallville influences on other things like Birthright or something. I don't know. It's true. Yeah, there are a you lot know. of different angles, uh, you know. And, and again, this, Smallville is my favorite incarnation of Superman. As much as I love oh, the comics awesome and know. it starts with the comics and I, I love the comics, but Smallville is my favorite incarnation. It was along my Superman fan journey, incredibly formative for all the reasons that, you know, we've, we've discussed. Uh, so again, it's something that, you know, I'll be, uh, I'll be discussing in, in various ways, yeah. shapes and forms, uh, over the, the life cycle of this podcast. And, uh, I certainly well, hope to have you back uh, down the line. Oh, I would love to come back. I was just thinking, you know, for me, it was formative and that like, obviously I would probably not even be in California if not for the show, but I feel like the Smallville journey was like, you know, for you, it was like, you know, your high school, your college, your grad school. For me, it was like my early adulthood, like was spent seeing the show develop and, you know, learning about the industry and seeing the ups and downs. And I mean, I don't think there will ever be another show like it, you know, just because it kind of like my experience, it came around at the right time. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of these shows owe a lot to Smallville and that's all I'm going to say. I'm <laughs> done. Finally, you can go to sleep. <laughs> I know we do have the time difference, but that's yeah. okay. I'm, yeah. uh, I'm kind right. of a bit of a late owl, a night owl. So uh, this is quite all right. Okay. But no worries. Thank you. Thank you to all of our uh, listeners and viewers. Uh, make sure you check out KSite TV. Make sure you come back in two weeks for another all new episode. We'll be talking about the Jeff Loeb run on Superman Batman. So that'll be a lot of fun. We'll of course, always hold on to Smallville. I'll add that to my uh, sign off here. Yeah. And of course, remember, it's about what you do. It's about action. Digging for Kryptonite is a Flat Squirrel production. Art by Greg Shegel, music by Basic Printer. If you like what you heard, be sure to listen to My Comic Shop History, available on most major podcast platforms. Sign up for exclusive additional content, including the Digging for Kryptonite companion podcast at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato. And watch my documentary film, My Comic Shop Country, out now on Apple TV and Amazon.